Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Jen Rustmeyer. She is a filmmaker and a few years ago she did a documentary called Just Eat It, A Food Waste Story as we look at food waste today. Also coming up on the podcast, the founder and president of Urban Knights and Ladies Peace Patrol. What they're doing for the homeless in Winnipeg, especially homeless veterans. Mike Bellhumer will join us on the podcast. And we'll also talk to Jonathan Allward, the Manitoba Director of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, about Cyber Monday. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. I started coming across these numbers about how much was being wasted. And I just thought, how is nobody talking about this? 40% of everything raised or grown is not, in fact, eaten. If that much food is being wasted, how much of it is still good, and can we eat it? That is from the trailer for the documentary of a few years ago called Just Eat It, a food waste story. The female voice you heard in there was that of Jen Rustmeyer, and Jen joins us on the phone now. Jen, good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for doing this. Um, so you basically, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll, I'll give it up here and then we'll talk about it. You basically uh, lived off food, waste food, food that was going to go to waste for about six months, right, in total? Yeah, for six months. I mean, we really wanted to show that the food that's being thrown away is perfectly edible. And it really did start that way for you. You just kind of started noticing, wow, we waste a lot of food and decided to do a documentary about it. Uh, yeah, you know, you hear these statistics like 30% of food gets wasted, and that seems unbelievable. Like in our house, we felt like we didn't waste that much food. And so, you know, to really believe it, you have to see it. And then to prove to people that the food was actually quality, we decided to eat it. Like, what better way to understand the quality of the food that's being thrown out and to see the volume? I mean, film is a really great way to get perspectives across. So give us an example of uh, how you shop for groceries when you were doing the documentary. Sure. So a lot of our food came from dumpsters. Um, We never broke any locks or jumped any fences. But if it was open, we would take a peek. And often there was copious amounts of food in there. Um, Sometimes we would buy things like if they were going to throw it out at the grocery store, then we would ask if we could buy it. And we didn't even care if we had a discount. Like it really wasn't about saving money. It was about saving the food. But you were really dumpster diving. Yeah, I know. There's this really big stigma around it, and I was so embarrassed about it. I had, you know, a nine-to-five office job, and it took me about four months before I even told my colleagues what I was doing. And was that the hardest part then, Uh, the way people looked at you when you were, you know, I'm doing the air quotes here, shopping, or what were, because just based on the trailer alone, it sounds like there were some tough days and real challenges. Yeah, there's ups and downs for sure. I mean, because we were being so stringent that we wanted to eat exclusively rescued food, you know, we couldn't have the luxury of just going out to get what we wanted when we wanted it. So sometimes you'd find, you know, like 40 liters of milk and then you had nothing for it to go with. And other times you'd find 30 boxes of cereal, but you didn't have milk. So uh, over time, we stocked our pantry. And so I think we got better at making wholesome meals. Rescued, uh, rescued food. I like that term. I'm going to use that. Rescued food. I haven't heard that before. That's uh, that's exactly what it is because 
it is food and it's fine to be eaten and yet it gets thrown out. Yeah, like we shouldn't even use the word food waste. Like it's really, it's food that needs to be rescued and it needs to be eaten. And, you know, we have a surplus in our society anyway, but there's also lots of people that could use a little bit of extra food. And so why not redistribute it to the people who actually need it? Yeah, and you took it to an extreme, obviously, for the documentary. But we're also talking today about, you know, things you can do. Uh, you know, if you notice a, a vegetable starting to go a little brown in the fridge, you put it in a sauce, right? I mean, there's lots of different ways you can make sure food doesn't go to waste. Yeah, exactly. And as consumers, we have so much power because we are the ones buying the food and then we get to manage it when we get it home. So, yeah, using the freezer, planning your meals, there's lots of things that we can do. What else did you learn? Tell me other things you learned. Um, well, I learned that, that food is all about sharing. So we became really generous sharing food with our friends and actually it like increased our community building because of that. Um, I also learned a lot about preservation, so I can food now. So if I had a surplus of apples, for example, I might dehydrate them or I might make them into applesauce. Uh, we definitely used our freezer a lot. Yeah. So it really did change the way you gather food, eat food, share food, save food, eh? Definitely. And in our fridge now, I try to keep my leftovers in glass jars or glass containers so that I can see what's in them. And then I always write the date on the top so that I have an idea of how old it is. And then I have a special bin in my fridge that says, eat me first on it. And I put my leftovers in there so that when I want a snack, I go there first to see if there's anything that needs to be eaten before I just make something new. Really good advice. So were you a filmmaker and decided to do this documentary or did this documentary make you a filmmaker? Give me your background. So my partner Grant and I had done a previous project uh, to do with recycling. So we tried to produce no waste at all for a year. And that film was called The Clean Bin Project. Um, and at this time, we still had day jobs and we were making these films for fun. But um, because of the success of Just Eat It, uh, we did become professional filmmakers. And now we do work exclusively in film. Very so kind of a life changing project on many levels. Yeah, very cool. So what are you working on now? What can we watch for? Right now, we're working on a documentary series on search and rescue. Very it's a little cool. bit different for us, but it, it'll still be equally as inspiring. Yeah. Well, I was just doing a Google search and you popped up, Jen, and I'm really glad I found you because uh, I, I'm anxious now to watch the documentary. I didn't have time this morning, obviously, uh, but I'm anxious to watch it. And thanks a lot for telling us about it. I think it's, uh, it's really cool what you guys did and interesting to hear that it actually changed your life in more than one way. Yeah, thanks so much. If people can't see it uh, at a live screen, they can always stream it on knowledge.ca. Knowledge.ca. Yeah. Knowledge.ca, and it's called Just Eat It, A Food Waste Story. Jen, thanks a lot for this. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, joining us now on the phone, Mike Bell Humor is uh, on the phone. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you for doing this, Mike. I know you're a listener. We email back and forth, but then I got an email with uh, your name on it and a group called the Urban Knights and Ladies Peace Patrol. I'll get to the news release in a second, but I understand you're the president and founder of this group. Tell me about it. Yeah, I sure am, Hal. Uh, I founded it in 1976. I was volunteering with Main Street Project at the time, and I saw... A lot of things uh, going on in the back lanes and on the streets. 
and there was no organizations addressing it. So we were the very first safety patrol in Winnipeg and in Manitoba and actually in Canada. Wow. Back in the 70s it started. Yeah. Isn't that something? And I know you're a veteran, and I know you've been homeless in the past. Tell me about that a bit, and that's going to get us to why we're talking today. Yes. uh, When I first got out of the service, I was homeless for about a year. Uh, So I know what it's like. I can relate to a lot of the people that are going through that right now. Uh, so our shift, our focus of our group shifted over the years, and uh, in the in the last past few years, we've been focusing on finding homeless veterans. And what do you do with them when you find them? How do you help them? Uh, well, we take them care packages and we refer them to resources and help them file claims uh, so they can get uh, some extra help. Good for you, Mike. And now, in the past week or so, about a week ago, you took a couple of tiny shelters to a couple of homeless camps on Henry. Tell me about that. Yes, we wanted to do something a little bit more proactive and a little bit more practical. Uh, I know there are street organizations trying to help the homeless, but uh, we didn't see anything like that uh, out there when we were we go out there regularly with care packages and we talk to the homeless and uh, like last year for example we found like 40 homeless veterans hmm. so we wanted to help them in, the, in a way of, you know how it is especially on a day like today with those cold winds out there we thought we'd set up a couple of warming huts uh, just to get them out of the cold wind uh, or if something happened to their tent you know a little bit more solid structure Right. And we should say that these were built by the students at Stonewall Collegiate. You put out the call, they uh, answered the call, and they're basically, as you said, warming sheds, sort of uh, uh, little shacks. And uh, as you said, they'll be used to uh, try and stay a little more warm in the cold winter. Exactly. And we're going to use one of them to hand out uh, care packages over the winter. And it's kind of like an early Christmas present. And I just want to add that uh, with the Stonewall Collegiate students, uh, their only involvement was to make the uh, the shelters for right. us, and the rest was up to us to decide what to do with them. Sure, yeah. And what do you say to people, Mike, that say, ah, these camps are ugly, we should get rid of them, and now here you are uh, taking out a couple of structures to two of the camps? Well, I think as to kind of add to my earlier comments, uh, I don't think people are aware. I mean, I mean, they are aware of homelessness in general, but I don't think they're necessarily aware that uh, a large uh, portion of these homeless people are former veterans of our country, mm-hmm. people that served our country, that were in uniform at one time, right. and that were abandoned by the government for whatever reason. So, you know, they fought for our freedoms yep. and our rights to do and say what we want to do and be to live the way we want. So I think uh, it, it only makes sense to try and help them out now when they mm-hmm. need us. And how many homeless veterans do you figure there are on the streets of Winnipeg right now? I would say there's approximately about 100 or so. A 100 of the homeless out there would be veterans? Yes, sir. Hmm. 
Well, Mike, I like the idea. Uh, you're making a difference. I like the idea of your organization. I can't believe it's been around all this time, and I haven't really heard of it. So keep up the good work. Well, and- last year, last year, Hal, we got the Order of Manitoba. And uh, just to add to the uh, sheds uh, or, hut, or huts or, sh- or uh, warming yep. shelters, right. we wanted to also make a social justice statement and uh, get other people motivated to do things. We also wanted to show compassion, but we wanted to highlight the humanity, mm-hmm. not only of the people helping, but the homeless themselves, and to highlight their, their spirits of survival. You know, a lot of people think back in our history when immigrants first came to our country. They had to live in shanties and shacks before they made their lives better. So that, that's how they lived at one time. And we also see the, the shelters as a, as a way of reconciliation, hmm. you know, to, to get people talking and working together and healing. And uh, so it, it's, it serves a multi-purpose. And our motto in the military is no one left behind. And uh, it's, a, it's a popular concept that's happening across Canada and other cities. But also, like in the U.K., they have what they call these gray spaces and their pods that they put up in various parts of the city and the homeless can use them to sleep in or take refuge or respite. And so it's, it's, it saves lives and it's a form of safety. Mike, thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. No, thank you, Hal. And thanks for everything you do. And thanks for reaching out to me in the past and offering help. You're welcome, pal. Okay. Take care. Hal. Mike Bell humor. He is the founder and president of the urban nights and ladies uh, peace organization, the uh, Peace Patrol. He founded it in the 70s. Mike is a veteran. He was homeless for a time after being in the service. And now he's trying to help Winnipeg's homeless, especially the veterans. Uh, the most recent uh, thing they've done is these two warming huts at uh, homeless camps on Henry. And already uh, getting some reaction here by text message and email, uh, people saying, what's wrong with this picture, Hal? Uh, homeless veterans. Yep, absolutely. It's it's a shame. And uh, Mike's a good guy. He listens. He emails me often. And he's a, a really good guy. And so I wanted to get that story out there. And uh, I'm sure Mike would love to hear from you if you'd like to help the Urban Knights and Ladies Peace Patrol. Well, we've been uh, talking a lot about rescuing food, food waste on the show today, but it's also uh, Cyber Monday. You've been sharing your best of Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. Let's talk about Cyber Monday now with Jonathan Allward. He's the Manitoba Director of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Jonathan's on the phone. Good afternoon, John. Hey, thanks for having me, Hal. Yeah, thank you for doing this. So I was just kind of curious, you know, Cyber Monday, Black Friday, I know it was busy uh, at the brick-and-mortar stores in Winnipeg and and Manitoba. What happens on Cyber Monday to those uh, merchants, store owners, retailers in Winnipeg and Manitoba on a day like today? I I know many of them are online themselves, but is this a, a day that they write off? How do they combat a lot of people being online today? Yeah, definitely not writing it off, but I would say it's probably less busy than your Black Fridays in, in the, the this last weekend. Um, I think Cyber Monday in general is more targeted for people selling electronics in particular, certainly those that are online. 
a lot of small businesses across Winnipeg and elsewhere in the province, they have an online presence, you know, through Facebook and Instagram, but they're not selling as many products over the internet. Um, but the fact is they're still open for business. They're still offering great deals. Um, you know, I, I follow quite a few local small businesses on Facebook and Instagram, and it's a great, uh, great place to, to get feeds on what things are for, for sale, and they certainly have a lot of good deal, uh, deals on today as well. And you just have to get that message out there, right? Whether you're online with it or, like you said, on social media or signage or radio advertising. I mean, however you do it, you just have to let people know that, yes, it's Cyber Monday. You can find deals online, but you can also find deals by walking through the door of a store in Winnipeg. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the reality is a lot of small businesses don't have the same kind of enormous advertising budgets as a lot of these really big multinational companies uh, that are that are making, you know, a huge push for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But the small businesses still have great deals on. Um, it's important if you're shopping to think about small business as well. And even if they don't have something, uh, you know, posted or you receive an email about it, uh, you know, they probably have sales going on, so don't ever hesitate to, to visit the shop and, and see what's great in store. I, I know uh, one on my way home, I, I usually stop at DeLuca's. Uh, they had a Parmesan Reggiano uh, cheese on half off, and um, I, I wouldn't have noticed it unless I was paying attention to their Facebook site or just stopping into the store. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking last week about, and I'd never heard of the term before, showrooming, which is where uh, you will walk into a store, walk through the door of a store, check out an item, and then go home and order it online. But then we started hearing from a lot of our listeners that they do the reverse to that. So reverse showrooming, basically they go online, they check out the item, and then they go shopping, walk through a door of a store locally, which is and and I'll just speak from my experience that's kind of the way I like doing it because I do like to buy local and support actual brick and mortar businesses. Yeah, and and some definitely do that. I mean, that's one way I can find out what products are available and you know, in different colors for example, if I'm looking at getting a new winter jacket, it's a good way to figure out what might be in store locally. Um, but I think a lot of people are, are going into to local shops. They're they're using up the small business owners or their staff's time and expertise, which is one of the big ways they differentiate from the big retailers. You know, they're looking at fabrics or colors and comparing prices and, and going the other way. You know, there's nothing that's going to replace the convenience, the service, the help of a lot of these small business owners. But people are are really taking advantage of it far too often. When we did the survey. It was pretty incredible, but 60% of, of our members in the retail sector had uh, seen it happening. Um, over 50% uh, of, of customers, too, were shopping that way, and it's certainly a growing concern. Huh. Hey, um, so obviously Black Friday was sort of the unofficial kickoff of the holiday shopping season. I can just speak from driving around, driving by malls and stores. It seemed very busy. Black Friday has definitely become a Canadian thing, a Winnipeg, a Manitoba thing. Um, based on Friday, and that's only a couple days, I know, how are you feeling about this year's shopping season locally? Well, I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. You know, what, in that same survey, we actually asked members, too, what were their busiest months? And for a lot, 
uh, November and December, not surprising, we're, we're right among the busiest, uh, May being the, the busiest, I believe. But just based on everything I saw driving around the city, uh, very, very, very busy. Traffic was insane. Uh, I live in the St. James area. It was really hard to uh, to get home and get around, which is, you know, a good thing for businesses. Um, at the same time, it's been incredible. When we put out the new report on showrooming and try and raise awareness, the amount of pickup we got across the country, the number of calls we got, messages we got from people saying, you know, I never really thought about uh, the impact that this can have on small businesses and recognizing how important small businesses are to our communities. Uh, I hope that is having an impact. I hope there's really a shift in, in uh, how people are purchasing. And uh, it's certainly certainly encouraging uh, leading up to the holiday season while, while there will be a lot more shopping going on. Well, let's hope so. And then stuck in the middle between Black Friday and Cyber Monday is Small Business Saturday. What can you tell us about that? What happened on Saturday locally? Anything? Yeah, there's a big push uh, all across the country to get people to, to to think small, to buy local. And it's something we do in, in October as well, really to get a big push on for people to recognize the importance of small business and go out and support those community uh, leaders, the small business owners that support the communities so much themselves. Uh, it's really encouraging to see it. I saw the hashtag uh, floating around a lot on Twitter, and uh, hopefully it's just a sign of good things to come uh, for their sales. Jonathan, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Hal. Thanks. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.